Paul's letter to the Romans is really his magnus opus of all of his epistles. It is his just magisterial exposition of the doctrines of the gospel and, and the life that flows uh, from that gospel. Uh, Pastor Wayne did a wonderful job last Sunday evening in, uh, in kicking off this series, though he did it unknowingly. Um, he jumped into Romans 1, uh, the first verses here, and, uh, and did such a wonderful job, I thought there's no point at all in plowing that ground over again. And so we're going to pick it up, uh, looking specifically this morning at uh, verses 16 and 17. But I'm going to read from the beginning, uh, Romans chapter 1. This is God's Word to us. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And as I said this morning, we'll be looking particularly um, we'll, at verse 15 and 16. I said 16, 17. We'll be uh, looking at verses 15 and 16. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Oh God, thank you so much for this wonderful letter, and we thank you for the gospel that it contains and for the power of that gospel for our eternal salvation. And I pray, Lord, that we would lay hold of that then with faith today as you speak to us through your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm excited about this series uh, for several reasons. I, I did a, a series on the book of Romans, I think, 19 years ago. Uh, some of you were, were here then. I doubt any of you remember well. Those You might remember certain bits and pieces of it. But the, 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 Paul's letter to the Romans is, it's just this exhilarating presentation of the doctrines of the Christian faith. 
Um, and so in this book, we'll, we'll, we'll um, study Paul's, or the Bible's doctrine of sin. We'll study uh, things, words like justification and regeneration and sanctification and glorification, all these doctrinal terms, and uh, your eyes might already start to be starting to glaze over a bit uh, because we have an assumption in our culture that doctrine is boring. It's, it sounds dusty, sounds dry, it doesn't sound relevant. Uh, we've got real issues and felt needs in our life, right? And we'd like the, the pastor to sort of stay on track and talk to us about the things that we're actually experiencing. Well, um, the fact is that the Christian doctrine is the most incredibly relevant message you're ever going to hear in, in your entire life because it addresses the most critical issues in your life, the most critical needs in your life. And it's the most exhilarating message that dying, uh, mortal, sinful people like us could, could ever hope to hear. Because it's a message about, about life, real life, everlasting life. Not something like, you know, the life they're talking about in a Peloton commercial, but the real thing. Uh, you glorified, perfected in the presence of God in a new heaven and a new earth forever. That's what, we're, what the gospel is talking about. I love what Dorothy Sayers, um, famous playwright and poet, says about this. She says, quote, The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that ever staggered the imagination of man. And the dogma is the drama. That's exactly right. The dogma is the drama. When we hear about what God has accomplished for us, that, that teaching, that truth, that doctrine, it is, it's just exploding with drama. As we think about, well, well, we'll unpack that as we go through. But the dogma is, is, is the drama. The doctrines of the gospel is the power of God let loose in the world today. That's what Paul says here in our text. That's pretty dramatic. And this, uh, this gospel this, and this book, particularly the book of Romans, has been used by God in, in incredibly powerful ways through the history of the church. That some of the most um, powerful uh, and significant leaders of the church are men who have been in their own lives uh, powerfully converted and transformed by this this book specifically, so St. Augustine, 4th century, um, John, uh, Martin Luther, 16th century, John Wesley, 18th century, all men greatly used by God, all of them converted by the book of Romans, converted by this, this, this uh, central message of the book that we are made right with God by faith alone. The righteous shall live by faith. That is the, the truth that freed St. Augustine from his bondage to lust, to sex. Uh, that's the truth that freed Martin Luther from his bondage to, to accusations of his own conscience and the devil and, and set him free to actually love God and live a life that was pleasing to him. That's, that's what, what uh, transformed John Wesley from a legalistic religious person into a lover of Jesus Christ and a lover of the gospel. This book, the power of this book is found in its, its penetrating, clear presentation of the, of the core truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, that message is the power of God unto salvation. And I'm excited about preaching this book because the, the power of this book, I'm convinced as we hear it and, and receive it, 
will transform our own lives. Uh, we can expect to see conversions and transformation, personal transformation happening right here as we, as we study this together. F.F. F. Bruce, uh, one of the commentators, writes this, There is no telling what may happen when people begin to study the epistle to the Romans. What happened to Augustine and Luther and Wesley launched great spiritual movements which have left their mark in world history. But similar things have happened much more frequently to very ordinary people as the words of this epistle came home to them with power. So let those who have read thus far be prepared for the consequences of reading further. You have been warned. Isn't that great? You've been warned. This message is the power of God. And it can shake us out of our apathy, shake us out of our unbelief. This, this, this message can, can radically transform our life, that we become um, devoted lovers of Jesus Christ and zealous disciples. This is an important letter also because it addresses our, our, cultural, our current cultural context today, right? The world that we live in is increasingly seemingly week by week, becoming increasingly more like the world that Paul lived in. It's becoming an increasingly pagan culture. And um, history shows that it is precisely the message of this book that engaged that culture and overcame, in a sense, that culture, transformed uh, that culture. I, I was reading this week an article about a historian and novelist, Tom Holland. In fact, I just ordered his book. I was, it's like that thick, but it looks fantastic, called Dominion. And it's a story about how Christianity um, transformed the brutish, brutal, miserable, violent uh, world of Paul's day and into the modern world. So, um, so Paul, Tom Holland is this, is this kid that grew up fascinated with the Roman world, uh, the military conquest, the gladiators, the, the, the pomp and power of, of Roman civilization. And so he made that his life's work, got a Ph.D., but the more he studied uh, the ancient Roman world, the more repulsed he was by it. Because it was, a, it was a vicious, brutal world where human life had no value whatsoever. People were abused, starved, tortured, killed in massive numbers, and nobody blinked an eye. Um, women had no rights and were treated primarily as instruments for the sexual pleasure of powerful men, and that was just normal, and that was regardless of their status. You could be the daughter of a prince, it didn't matter. Status had no bearing. You were treated um, as an instrument for the sexual pleasure of powerful men. Babies were routinely left out in the cold to die, especially baby girls. And so Holland began to wonder, um, how did the Roman world with its utter disregard for human life, its rapacious abuse of women, its glorification of violence and power, how did that brutal worldview become the modern world where the value of a human life is taken for granted, where um, the rights of a woman are taken for granted, where the sanctity of sex has been for centuries assumed and was a culturally formative category? at least until the last few decades. But how did that happen? And Holland wonderfully makes the point that everybody that's protesting about various injustices are all, uh, even injustices committed by the, right, the church, they're all standing on Christian assumptions. They're all standing on values that have been, that, that 
cultural values that were cr created by the Christian movement. So he says, how did this happen? How did, how did you get from the Roman world to the modern world? And his, to his surprise, he discovered it all began with the Apostle Paul. In an interview, Holland likened the theology and life of the Apostle Paul to a depth charge dropped beneath the turbulent sea of the Greco-Roman culture. The immediate explosion was not felt immediately, but the ripple effects utterly transformed the Western world over the course of the next 11 centuries. I just love that image, that, that Paul is, is lighting the fuse of a, that, that, that explodes underneath the worldview of that day, and, and uh, the kingdom of that world begins to crumble and fall, and, uh, and the, the glorious light and life of the gospel begins shooting through the cracks until, until uh, Paul's gospel becomes the predominant way of thinking about the world in the Western world. That's the power of the gospel. Last week, as I said, Wayne began by showing that the good news of the gospel is, uh, it's about a person, all right? Paul says this is about, it's the gospel of God concerning his son. It's about Jesus. That's, that's what the gospel is about. And it's about the actual historic things that Jesus did. He was, he was a descended from David, a historic person according to the flesh, uh, declared to be the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So this Jesus, um, he lived, uh, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, buried, third day, rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father, and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what we believe about Jesus. Those are objective facts. That is, and, and it is those things that is the message of the gospel. The gospel is not uh, just how God feels about you. The, the message is not God's encouragement to you. The message is not to help you um, deal with life in, in, in a little better way, help you be a better person. The gospel is this incredible proclamation about what God has accomplished in Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners and the redeeming of all things. And so that's the message that Paul was commanded by Jesus to preach, and he was eager to do so. Notice verse 15. I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Uh, Paul feels this burden, this necessity. Notice in verse 14 he says, I'm under obligation. Why is he under obligation? Well, it's because, because Paul's been given the cure for the world, right? If, uh, if you remember... Uh, the story back in the Old Testament where the, um, Israel's enemies are attacking them and, and there's this huge army out there and, and these beggars say, well, we might as well go out there and, and, and die there, and stay here and die in the city. But God had accomplished a great victory and so when they went out, all the enemies were, were dead or gone and there was just loot all over the place and just, so they start helping themselves and then they said, well, wait a minute. All these people back in the city don't know about this. There's enough food here for everyone. We, we have to go back. They're under obligation. You can't just help yourself to the goodies. You, you've got to share it, right, with people who, who desperately need it. That's exactly how Paul feels. Uh, he's, in the, he's in a world full of lost, sinful, wicked men, and, and they need to hear this message. And so he's eager to preach it to them. And he's eager not just because of the, the, the greatness of the need, but he's eager because of the greatness of the power. Notice he says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. In the Greek, verses 15 and 16 are one verse. 
So these need to go right together. Paul boasts in the gospel because he's, he's eager to preach the gospel because he's not ashamed of the gospel, right? That's, that's what he's saying. Have you ever been in a conversation with an unbeliever and um, you had a chance to share some biblical truth or some gospel truth with them, but you hesitated? I, I think most of us have had this. And afterwards, you thought, now, why didn't I say something? And, and it's a variety of reasons. It could be you didn't quite know what to say. That's possible. Uh, sometimes you're just flummoxed and, and the words don't come. Sometimes it's because you don't want to offend the person. Sometimes you're just you're, you're in a big hurry. You don't have time for a lengthy conversation, whatever it might be. Um, isn't it true that we often give the appearance that we're we lack an eagerness to share it. So if we're not ashamed of the gospel, we're, we, at least we lack this, this eagerness to proclaim it. Well, that's why I love the Apostle Paul, and that's why I want to learn from the Apostle Paul, because he's, he's not hesitant, and he's not ashamed. He has this burning eagerness to speak this gospel, even though the whole world of his day was ridiculing it and despising it. Nobody thought this was a good message. So the Romans scoffed. I laughed out loud at the idea of bowing to a crucified Jew. It was, it was just laughable on the face of it. I mean, they exalted in power. And a, a, a naked, shamed criminal, right, crucified on a Roman cross is the epitome of weakness. And so they didn't want the message. The Greek philosophers derided the idea of an incarnation. The gods of the Greeks would never dream of becoming flesh, becoming man. The, and what the pagans found foolish, the, the Jews found incredibly offensive. The gospel to them seemed to undermine the, the law of Moses. Uh, Jesus himself seemed to be undermining that law. When he went and did things on the Sabbath you weren't supposed to do, like heal people and have them take up their bed and walk. Uh, but most of all, they were furious over the way the gospel undermined their national pride and their position of status as the people of God. So um, Paul could say just about anything in a, Roman, in, in a Jewish synagogue, but when he got to the part where God uh, has sent me to the Gentiles to preach this good news and that God is making the Gentiles part of his family, that's when the rocks start flying. They hated that message. So... The world was united in its, uh, in its belief that Paul ought to be ashamed of this message, and the scars in his body bear testimony to their opposition. He does not have a friendly audience. And friends, uh, that's increasingly becoming the case today. There's a growing genre of books and articles, you can find them online, and, uh, dedicated to the proposition um, that religion in general and Christianity in particular is harmful to human flourishing. That is increasingly becoming a cultural assumption. Uh, as I wrote in my pastor's post uh, this past week, uh, to the ears of the world, the Christian message is one giant no. No to human freedom. No to human flourishing. No to man's quest for happiness. And in the face of that, that opposition, it's very common for even staunch believers to just be silenced in the face of the vitriol of the world. Well, Paul refused to be silent, absolutely refused, not because he was stubborn, 
but because he was convinced of the glory of the gospel. And in, in the face of a protesting, ridiculing world, he refused to apologize for it, but boasted in it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because, you see, he has uh, this, this conviction that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God. You see, the, uh, I, heard, uh, I heard Bill Steffen years ago now. <clears throat> we had him come to a youth uh, retreat. Bill Steffen, the weatherman, and he was um, explained that he explained the power of a hurricane by saying that if you could convert the energy uh, generated by five seconds of a hurricane, okay, just take a hurricane, take five seconds. If you could capture that energy, you would have enough electricity to supply the whole world for ten years. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of power. But it's nothing compared to the power of the gospel. You see, uh, there's no power in the world that can transform a, a human heart or raise a spiritually dead soul to life. Only the gospel can do that. There's nothing else. There's no natural power on earth that can free an addict from the chains of drugs or drink or pornography or bad relationships, whatever it might be. There's, there is no human resource, no human power that can free that person in truth from that addiction to live unto the glory of God. They might be break free from the addiction. They will not be able to break free from that addiction to be free to live as they were created to. There is, there's no natural resource that's able to wash away human sin and stain. There are people all over the world trying to wash away sins from the past, trying to figure out how to be right with God. But nothing can. Only the gospel can do that. You see, the tragedy of humanity is in truth that we are, we are born with this desperate bondage to rebellion and sin and evil. We like it. We are driven by it. We're, we're, we're compelled towards it. And, and, and we can't change it. Not by, we have no power, right? We can't change it and we can't repair ourselves. Only the gospel can do that. What can wash away my sins, Right? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is, not, and there is no other source of help in these things. The gospel is the greatest power on earth, and that's because it is the power of God. Paul specifically says it is the power of God. It's God's gospel, God's message, the, the, the proclamation of God's mighty acts of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the story of God himself coming to earth <clears throat> in human flesh to overthrow the works of the devil, to redeem his people from death and hell, and to make everything new. And as that message is preached, and as that message is believed, God himself, you see, is at work by his Holy Spirit to, to convict the hearts of sinful men, to overwhelm them with the grace of Jesus Christ, and draw them to Christ in bonds of sovereign, saving love. The gospel is mighty beyond knowing, because in it, and the, 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 the mighty arm of God is being manifested and exercised. The gospel is the power of God. Unleashed in this wicked world, unset loose in our own broken lives. And this is the source of Paul's eagerness. You know, it's a great, it's a great reminder to us. <clears throat> so often we're hesitant to speak to people about the gospel because we just sense that our words have, 
They just don't have power. And that's true. Our words don't have power. But you see, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's God's words. It's God's message. We're just the channel. And we can speak that message with a conviction that it has magnificent power. God's own power. It is the power of God. Think about that the next time you have an opportunity to witness. And Paul says it's a saving power. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You know, one of the reasons that the church, um, you find from time to time in the history of the church, the church sort of loses its gospel witness. And often the reason is because it, it gets confused about what the world needs. And so the world will look around and see um, illiteracy and say what the world needs is, is education. Or the, world will, the church looks around and see uh, rampant diseases and poverty and say what the world needs is a, is a helping hand with the diseases and, and something to lift them out of the poverty. That's what the world needs. And, and of course the world needs these things. But it's not the, the most critical need and, it, and it's specifically not the need that, the, that God has given the church to address. We have, uh, there, there are all sorts of agencies uh, that, that, can, that can minister to those things and do so wonderfully. And many Christians are involved in, in them, in fact, uh, creating them and leading them. Praise God. But you see, the, the power, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So when Paul looked around the world, there was, there was incredible poverty and there was slavery and, and there was bondage in all sorts of ways. And yet what Paul saw in his mind were people who needed to be saved. They were blinded in their, in their mind and their hearts were hardened to the things of God. The, the, the God of this age had, had, had his grip on them. The devil had them under his deadly power and, and they could not free themselves. And, and, and Paul understood that all the things that were broken in the world of his day were, were, were broken because of the bondage of sin. And yet God had introduced in Jesus Christ a message that could break that bondage. And so Paul said, I'm, I'm not going to know anything while I'm with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that's what the world needs. They need to be, people need to be saved They need to have a new heart. They need to be given a new mind. They need a new identity. They need to actually become a new creation. And the gospel is the one thing in all the world that can accomplish those ends. It's the power of God unto salvation. Of course, Paul had experienced this in his own life, didn't he? He was, by his own testimony, a wretched man, a wicked man, a violent blasphemer dragging Christians to their death thinking he was pleasing God. He was, he was as lost as a person can be, consumed with self-righteous hatred. He was on his way to hell. And then one day Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and completely changed his life. Jesus made Paul a new man was dramatically, powerfully rescued from his bondage to sin and, and brought to life in Jesus Christ. And so he'll say it's a, it's a trustworthy saying, fully, worthy of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came and died for sinners of whom I am chief. That's the message of the gospel. And that's why he's so eager to preach it. Because people desperately need to hear it. And 
And hearing it, you see, it's only when they hear it that they can believe and be saved. So Paul will say in, in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's his conviction. That's the gospel truth. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can, we can shout that through all the, whole, the halls and corridors of this lost world. But Paul goes on there and says in, chapter, in verse 14, but how can they call on him whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe on him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That, that, that's, that's the obligation he feels. They can't believe unless they hear, and they, can't, they, they won't hear the gospel unless someone tells them the gospel. But if they hear it, and they believe it, they'll be saved. And when Paul thinks of salvation, he doesn't just think about conversion, right? When, when Paul uses this word, we'll find this other places in, in his letter. But when Paul uses this word here, he's not thinking about a, a, someone saying the sinner's prayer. That's not what he sees. What he's thinking is someone stepping into the halls of heaven, someone robed in the refulgent robes of righteousness and, and being received into the eternal glory of, of eternity to dwell with God forever. So when he thinks salvation, it's the whole thing. And particularly the glorious end of the thing, glorification itself. The gospel is the power of God, not just to regeneration and not or conversion or even justification or sanctification. It's all those things. It's all those things, but it's all those things to the end of glorification. And what that means, you see, is that this is a gospel then for the church. He's writing to believers, to people who've already believed, already been converted, already been justified. People are being sanctified, but Paul is eager to preach the gospel to them because the gospel is the power of God that keeps them in the faith, that helps them endure to the end and prepares them for their glorious future. It's not just a gospel that converts people, right? He doesn't, he doesn't boast in the gospel because it's able to convert people. Every religion is able to convert people to their religion, right? Every religion claims that. But Paul boasts in the gospel because it's able to do what no other message in the world can do, which is to present sinners bound for hell, uh, to present them before the throne of God on the judgment day without fault and with great joy. To present people like you and me robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ as sons and daughters of the Most High God made heirs of heaven with Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does. And that's why the church needs the gospel. It's one of the, one of the biggest mistakes that I see uh, churches make, and I don't care what pedigree you might be, one of the biggest mistakes church make is we assume the gospel. Once we get you converted, now we're going to go on and talk about other things. We'll talk about our pet doctrines. We'll talk about our doctrinal distinctives. We'll talk about your felt needs. When what the church needs is this constant nourishing of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Doctrinal distinctions won't cut it. Um, lectures on how to handle your money won't do it. The gospel does it. The gospel, you see, is what's able to break you free from, from your fear and your anxiety and your addictions. The gospel is what's able to transform us from people who are naturally bent inward to people who become increasingly bent outward. The gospel is what is able to make you forgive your spouse in your marriage, and there's nothing else in the world that can do it. But the gospel can, and the gospel does. And so we got to make the gospel, the message, the message, the message, the message, gospel. 
Not simplistic. It's not simplistic. It's glorious. It's full. But that's, that is the power of God. That's what transforms lives. That's what brings dead people to life and presents them finally before Jesus Christ without spot and great joy. And so Paul has a gospel for the church. He has a gospel for us. It's a gospel that saves us to the very end. Friend, you might be here this morning struggling in your faith. Uh, you might be feeling incredibly weak and battered as you, as you face the, the enemies of your soul, the world and the flesh and the devil. You might be wondering if you're even a Christian. You might be wondering if, if you're going to make it. As you see the power of, of indwelling sin, as you sense the temptation of the world. Friends, God calls us to the gospel. To over and over and over again do this one thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in all that he's accomplished for you on that cross. Believe in all that he has promised you as the risen Lord and King. Hold on to the gospel. It is the power of God for your salvation. Minister that gospel to your marriage Minister that gospel to your friends. Minister that gospel to your kids. They're trying to figure it out too, particularly when they hit uh, the reality of their own sin and they see the power of it and, and they don't understand what's going on. They need to hear the gospel. The gospel. What Jesus Christ has accomplished for them on that cross. What Jesus Christ promises to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you see, there's this wonderful promise. It's fr- the, the, the blessings of the gospel belong to everyone who believes. That's what Paul says. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And that means, you see, not to those who work, not to those who accomplish those who are fit, those who are deserving, it's, it, it, it's not about that. It's to those who believe. Lord, I believe. You see, that's, that's, that's the, the prayer of a sinner. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But I believe. It's wonder, it's, it, just, it's, it just means that no matter how great your sin, uh, no matter what there is about you that you think disqualifies you, there is nothing to keep you from being forever saved by this gospel if you will believe it and receive it. I was uh, reading a, a, a book, and I won't remember the title of it, but the author was talking about her pre-Christian life. She was in the homosexual lifestyle, and she had, she had some understanding about Christianity, but was convinced that there, Christianity had nothing to offer to her. She was of the wrong sexual preference. And so didn't even bother looking at it. Well, there's all sorts of people in our world today who think that. They're from, the, they're from the, the wrong side of the tracks. They have the wrong, they have the wrong um, political outlook on life. Wrong moral background, wrong track record. Wrong, wrong pattern of life, right? They, they don't qualify for, for this. And the exact opposite is true. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for sinners, for people with the wrong track record and the wrong sexual preference and the wrong, um, the wrong outlook in life, the wrong moral background, the wrong bent of their own heart, and this gospel promises everlasting salvation to those who believe. Those who are able to say, I believe this is true. I believe what it says about my sin. I understand that I cannot save myself but I believe that God gave me a person in Jesus Christ who was lifted up on a cross bearing my sin so that if I call on the name of Jesus Christ, I will be saved. Paul says in 
chapter 5, verse 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's from God's mouth to your ear. And so, friends, let's believe. Let's believe in this gospel. Whether you've been a Christian since you were two years old or you've been maybe just a new Christian or or right now this morning you're not a Christian at all, the gospel invitation goes that if you will believe, you will be saved. My prayer is that we will say, yes, Lord, I believe. Let's pray. Oh, Father, the gospel is the power of God and salvation. You tell us that's the case, and Lord, we need that power. We need that power. There's so much brokenness in our life. There's, there's rebellion still in our heart, and we cannot fight this war in our own strength. We, haven't, we don't have any. And Lord, our families need this gospel. Our children need this gospel. Our loved ones need this gospel. Our neighbors need this gospel. Our coworkers. And so, Father, I pray that as we study these things together, Lord, and as we begin to apply these things to our own life, as we lay hold of Christ again afresh, day by day, believing all that you've promised in Jesus to us, Lord, I pray that we would experience the transforming power of the gospel, and I pray that we would have the joy of seeing people converted and strengthened and built up in the faith and and that one day, oh God, we would have the joy of, of gathering with all your saints as we step into the glory of what is yet to come. Father, I just, I plead that your Holy Spirit would give us a clear mind about these things and the ability to, to understand the, the critical necessity of these things and the, and the, the true power of these things. We can so easily become cynical in our Christian life. And Lord, I pray that you would just use, use your word to, to blow that cynicism away and, oh God, help us to believe, help us to believe with all of our heart that Jesus died for all of our sin and Jesus rose again that we would be justified robed in his righteousness, and Jesus is at work sanctifying us, transforming us day by day into his likeness, and Jesus will one day glorify us. Give us hearts that hunger for that day, in Jesus' name, amen.